What are cryptocurrencies? What are NFTs? Time to buy Bitcoin. Buy and hold. Time to sell to whales. Decentralized finance, smart contract, white paper. Well, then buy it. Well, then sell it. I don't know. Crypto is quite a nascent revolution, but it has already disrupted the traditional ways of owning and exchanging value, which comes with cascading effects on a variety of different fields, from economics, finance and law, to art, gaming and creativity in general. While the formers have been widely covered and adopted to some extent, the latters have only just started to see the light of day with the emergence of non-fungible tokens. But NFTs are just the tip of the iceberg. There's a brave new word of crypto creativity out there, and we'll take you on a trip to explore every corner of it through this exclusive series. From Paris, my name is Moel Said, and this is On The Ledger. Good trips demand good companions, and honestly, there's no better companion for creative reflections than the supermassive Robin Schmidt. Robin is one of the most creative individuals I've had the chance to work with. He's a multi-awarded filmmaker who's worked throughout the whole production spectrum as a producer, editor, director, and visual effects artist. Before bringing creative storytelling to crypto and blockchain, first as a creative director at Harmony, and currently as head of video and multimedia at The Defined. He's also the man behind our YouTube show, School of Block. Together throughout this series, we'll explore how crypto is igniting a new creative revolution and dive into the world of NFTs, digital fashion, gaming, art, the metaverse, and more. So stay tuned, because this is about to get interesting. On the Ledger, episode 6, the first edition of Creative Reflections. Here we go. Hey Robin, welcome to On the Ledger. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm are good. You enjoying the market? Are you enjoying the market today? Uh, not quite. But not really. Yeah, not it's really. a bit red. Man, I'm 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 pretty stoked about this one, and I'm very excited about this uh, this new edition of uh, Creative Reflections that we're launching. So, uh, let's get into this. So, let's start with our not so stupid questions. I think a good way to start this would be to talk about the creator economy. Robin, it seems like the creator economy is like the new buzzword in town, but from my understanding, it's not a novelty. So, as a filmmaker and a creative storyteller who embraced the digital era right at the start. Could you give us a quick overview of what the creator economy is and maybe tell us how you've been part of it? Well, I guess the creator economy starts with YouTube um, and this ability to take control of your the way you earn a living by by creating. And it's it's something we're very familiar and comfortable with now through Instagram, through Twitter, of being people who publish and self-publish. But it wasn't always the case. When I started my journey as a filmmaker, we were still using Macos 9. I mean, imagine that. And the tools that we now use to plug a digital camera into a computer and retrieve a digital image, which we could then edit, that was that was witchcraft back then. And it's not to say that you know everything was black and white and, and not advanced. It was pretty advanced. You could do a lot, but the, the notion that you could then take whatever you made, self-publish, and then earn an income on top of that, wild. So... It has to start with YouTube, and it has to start with the ability to earn a living off ad revenue on YouTube and the way that has matured. What we see now is a vast proliferation of platforms and tools, all of which seem to be rigged in the favor of the platforms on which these creators reside. And so when we talk about creator economies, it's you know we know that there are powerhouse creators like, for instance, uh, PewDiePie, you know, or Mr. Beast, who are just earning fortunes 
from being able to press a button and then millions of people will watch what they've produced. That is an economy all in and of itself. And yet you get the feeling that the creators behind this could do so much more. And so when you merge the world that we're in, which is blockchains, tokens, which are about generating internal economies that have their own mechanisms, their own frictions, but also their own opportunities. And you blend that with the storytelling power, the audience creation power of a, of a creator like PewDiePie. There is something very compelling about that. And yet it's taken us till now to be in a position where we could say, well, you know what? This actually might be the time when we see creators take ownership of their economies rather than simply generating wealth for the platforms. That's pretty interesting. I want to double click on something you said, um, which is mainly about the limits of the actual uh, digital creative model uh, of YouTube, TikTok and other platforms. In your opinion, what are the limits there? Well, there's a great example recently, Gary Vee. Gary Vee is a powerhouse. He, his famous his famous kind of Instagram takeover model was literally just, I'm going to, I'm going to just own Instagram and here's how I'm going to do it. And it was a very simple strategy, which is make, 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 just make, 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 make. All of that runs completely counter to the way I've been raised as a filmmaker, which was quality over quantity. Gary Vee is the opposite. I mean, it's not to say that his content isn't good. It's just that the most important thing is to be publishing often and just almost creating this indelible footprint literally everywhere so your content is impossible to miss that for someone like me is a deeply difficult model to reconcile with who i am just in terms of my sensibilities and what i like so remind me the question again i got lost in the thought there that's all right i was talking about the limits of the digital creative model yeah, so, it's, so, so actually yeah, the platforms also because it's something you you actually mentioned about the fact that you know there there are actual limits uh that come with the the centralized uh, aspect of of digital creation that you have to actually go through a certain platform to be able to publish your work and for the work to be actually viewed by a large audience well that the well, the limit I was actually coming to was that Gary Vee has just done a, a collection of NFTs. And part of those NFTs is you can have a one-on-one -on -one session with Gary Vee. And this all sounds amazing. But what if Gary dies? Then what? That, that NFT is worthless. Are you going to replace Gary Vee with a Gary Vee lookalike or someone that can say the same words as Gary? No. So it's highly centralized. And that is a physical human limit. There are 24 hours in the day and you can't work all of them. So... How do you then supply content outside yourself? This is a scaling problem. But of course, you're right. There are platform limitations, which is, <clears throat> for instance, you're a crypto YouTube creator. At any moment, at any moment, they could just decide, oh, we don't like cryptocurrencies. It's happened before. We're just going to ban your account. And like that, your income's gone. That sucks. And it happens to people who are both scammers and it happens to people who are not scammers, who just deliver you know, critical information. But if people are earning a living and subsisting off these platforms, but they can be literally switched off overnight, that's a horribly precarious situation to be in, which is why when you set out on the path of being a YouTuber, for instance, all of these channels, they bleat the same message over and over and over, which is diversify your income stream. So 
hey guys, get my digital merch. Yeah, drop into my stores, slide into my DMs, get, you know, t-shirts, badges, stickers, t-shirts, you know, copy my eyebrows, all this stuff. Like that's how they survive because they have to diversify their income stream. And so, you know, when we talk about creator economies, we're talking about diversifying into different things. For a creator, that is a very difficult thing to do. And, and you know, this universe is listed with people who simply took the wrong step. I, you know, they they were too ambitious. Like they tried to, for instance, set up a vodka brand or, you know, some kind of alcohol, you know, liquor brand. That's very, very difficult to do. The ones who are the most successful, are the ones who remain resolutely digital. So they've created uh, revenue streams in which it's a digital download. There's no physical item that needs to be, you know, made or shipped or anything else that that's a very effective lean mechanism for becoming a creator and earning a living in, in those secondary and tertiary uh, revenue streams but of course you know there's like we know that big creators get big big bucks to talk about something like really big bucks you know how much is a kim kardashian instagram post worth millions probably you know how do you put a figure on that it's huge so from what I understand, the creator's economy actually uh, was born with the rise of social media, but the, the actual problem with the with the with this model of the creator uh, the creator's economy is one gatekeeping, and two the the centralization of the platforms themselves, but also uh, of the, the 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 actual influencers that have the power to actually you know centralize also the, the the flow of money that is coming from brands so it's not as decentralized and maybe this is this is actually the, the the right time to talk about what crypto is bringing to the table so what is the disruption that actually uh, crypto and blockchain and nfts bring to uh, to this creator's economy i wouldn't say that it's a disruption yet because we haven't seen a genuine example of it having disrupted anything it's potentially disrupting but it comes with a bunch of real pitfalls attached to it but in, in essence you as a personal brand have the opportunity to create value which you own in its entirety and that's it you know that that's the simple and honest truth of the matter is that if you if you make something and you've created something of value in the blockchain model that value resides with you. And if you do it correctly, it should reside with your fans as well in equal partnership. The blockchain model says this is, you know, this is entirely possible because 100% of it starts with you and then you give up 50%. That's great. Whereas in, you know, the models that we're accustomed to, there's always somebody taking a cut. If, for instance, you know, we see a Kim Kardashian coin, it will be one of the most profound moments in the history of blockchain. And it wouldn't be very difficult for her to do it. But there are, of course, some pitfalls, which is, you know, I, I've often talked about the, the perils of, of creators having their own coins, of having social tokens, because this is a world which does not give a shit who you are about your reputation or anything. All it cares about is price. And because of that, it, it can quickly become tempting to serve the price and not the value that you're creating. And it's the biggest problem I have with, with tokens in general when bolted onto creator economies. Because you as a, you can't help it. You as a human, you want to be liked, but the market doesn't care. The market goes through cycles over which you have no control. And if you once you're at the mercy of a cycle, both negative and positive, it brings with it all this accompanying tension, accompanying stress and difficulty, which is not your fault, 
but which you will be subject to no matter what. And if Bitcoin decides that it wants to drop 15%, all of that problem becomes your problem. Trust me, creating content is hard and it's stressful and it's it's a daily job. And the thing you did yesterday has no bearing on the thing you do tomorrow. It, it is hard. Adding that stress on top of everything else is something you should think very, very carefully about doing. But the, the good news is there it doesn't have to be a token and a creative economy doesn't have to necessarily be I'm launching my own coin on Roll, for instance, or I'm, you know, there are other ways to ex extract and create value using tokens, using um, DeFi, for instance, that have nothing to do with tradable market components. They have much more to do with, I make something, I can stake it, I can, you know, I can tell you how much I love you, you know, as a fan by staking. Staking is a very easy thing to do and it's not, you're not spending money on it. There are ways to to sell people merch like nfts that can pay themselves back over time you imagine a membership fee if you hold it for 12 months it's paid itself off you can't do that in the normal economy it's just not possible with blockchain with DeFi, plugging in all these clever things and the financialization of nfts in particular man that shit gets really interesting definitely well i know you started your professional crypto journey with harmony before joining the defiant but i've actually never asked you how like what, what what brought it home for you so yeah this is it, it's something it took me 4 years to figure out but i've been working as a filmmaker and trying to find my place in that space for such a long time because i've always been somewhat of an outsider someone that did a lot of things but never quite had his had his place and so i've all you know i've always been good at it uh, but never really established in it in the sense that I guess I'm just too curious. I, I like exploring things like new technology and new new boundaries of storytelling. And I, like, I would always, once I'd made a music video or I'd made a, a piece of work, I would always go and try and do something completely different the next time. And so if you look at my body of work, there was no cohesion to it. There was no sense of me as a filmmaker, as a personality. And so I wasn't really doing that well. I'd also made a feature film. I'd started a young family and I was hitting, you know, I was heading towards 40 really staring down the barrel of a, of, a, of a midlife crisis and wondering what on earth my retirement looked like. Just like, wh what am I leaving behind? And I was having to answer some hard questions, which is, I'm poor, but I've worked like an asshole for 20 years and I've got nothing to show for it. What was I doing? Like, honestly, what, what, why was I chasing making films in Hollywood? Because that's really hard to do. What, I, like, I'd built a company and I'd left it. Like I was just going nowhere. And so I, I really just asked myself this very difficult question. What is the problem here? And I realized that the problem was money. So I was like, you need money to make films. And I, I realized that I needed to completely reboot my career somehow. I needed to just start afresh, make new work. But that is expensive. And like making it to the level you want, you have to hire people, you just get lights, you have to get a crew, locations. It's really expensive. So I was like, okay, my problem is money. Or rather, my problem is not having any money. And so I started looking into crypto as a way of just, re, you know, scrabbling together enough money to reboot my film career, just to carve out a new showreel with a bunch of new stuff and just start fresh. What happened was I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole of trading, get excited by trading, trading shit coins, meeting people. And I found in crypto an, an analog to when the DSLR revolution happened, which is around sort of 2009, 2010. You had these stills cameras that could shoot video, had amazing lenses on the front. They were cheap as chips. And suddenly everybody who wanted to be a filmmaker, but you know, couldn't afford the, the gear, could shoot stuff that looked 
all right. You know, and they were, you know, you sort of jerry rig all these different things together and cobble it together. But there was such information asymmetry. Everyone was sharing what they found and, and connecting with people from all over the world in ways that they would never have done previously. And it was really healthy. I see the same thing in crypto, massive information asymmetry. Everyone's there for the same reason. They're trying to further themselves or escape something or other financial restrictions. And so you had this really intense creative community that was all kind of just sharing information and sharing secrets. But the money, the money, man, I was like, I was just like watching these coins just skyrocket. I was like, man, I want a piece of that. I want a piece of that. That's the answer. And I started going, okay, if I double this month, double the next month, double the next month, I'm like going to be a millionaire. I was like, the idea of being a millionaire. Wow. It's like, holy shit, a millionaire. Wow. What could I do if I was a millionaire? Wow. Dude, I this, love how this, you're this, honest this. about this though. Oh, and I was a total retard completely, <laughs> but in the best possible way, because what I, what I, what I bet on myself was I'm smart enough to figure out a better way to play this game than just being a, idiot buying SHIB or SafeMoon and just hoping it goes up, there has to be a better way. So what I did was I invested in relationships and just started making friends with people who had access to the information that you couldn't get elsewhere. Through all of that, through all of that, I came to a realization that this was a space that I probably would have more fun working in than where I was at, which was shooting commercials for coffee machines. I just realized that everything I, everything I was doing was just complete bull, bullshit. It really was. So I was just like, you know, what can I do? As it turned out, I got an opportunity to invest in Harmony at the seed level. This was when layer ones were like the, the best things since sliced bread. Sharding was a hot topic. Harmony looked like the best investment in the world ever. So I, I, I took the opportunity to invest at seed. And then I realized that, you know, I could just call them up and say, hey, guys, I invested. Um, love to talk to you about storytelling. Because I, I I'd suddenly become aware that every single piece of information is shared through some kind of storytelling element in crypto. Narrative drives everything. It's a really reflexive space. And so those who told the best story ended up winning. So I just speculatively, completely out of the blue, came up with a crazy idea for Harmony. And then I flew out to San Francisco and I pitched it to them in the room. And they bought it there and then. I was like, well, that was easy. And then basically over the course of the next three months, it turned out that it was going to be so much work. I just needed to go and work for them. So I just said straight up, what would it take for me to just come and work for you guys full time? And that's how I ended up working for Harmony and really embedding deep into what it takes to run a layer one, what it takes to run a validator network, how difficult it is you know, to, to set up four different shards on a sharded network and keep them all running and keep them all talking to each other. And you know what it takes to keep a community happy when you're in the middle of a horrible bear market and everyone's sentiment is just at rock bottom. How do you keep them going? What kind of conversations do you have with them? And how do you avoid them wanting to kill you? Mm -hmm. uh, all of these things, fascinating, exhilarating, working with developers and coders who are in so many ways, almost identical to the creatives that I used to work with. It's just, they get paid a lot more. But fundamentally, the, their instincts and everything else is the same. Actually, there's something interesting that you said about the things you see in, 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 in the crypto sphere at the moment. Uh, and I'm actually interested because you're you're a guy who's actually curious, like one of the most curious guys I've, I've worked with, actually, and you're interested in many different things. So I'm going to ask you hard questions. What is the most interesting creative innovation, whether it be a model or a project that you're witnessing at the moment? You can only choose one. 
I can only choose one. Yeah, and just okay. give us a quick overview of how it works because, uh, like, you know, a lot of people are listening to us and they might not be very familiar with all the rabbit holes that you go down through. So one of the one of the biggest shifts I've t- taken in my own kind of journey in, in, in all of this is confronting the idea of lending and not thinking of it as a negative position. Because for, the, for most of my life, I've been in some form of debt, whether it's university debt and everything else. And it's through DeFi that I've learned to look at lending and borrowing in particular as a powerful financial position to take. Now, I know tons of people run small businesses and they look at borrowing as a way of just bootstrapping and getting capital. But I've never looked at it that way. So the thing that I'm going to talk about is Alchemix. Alchemix is a, uh, a money market. And what it allows you to do, you deposit a sum of money in DAI, and then you can take 50% back of a loan. So that sounds ridiculous, right? You you deposit, you know, say $100,000, and then it, you get $50,000 back. You're like, well, how is that a good deal? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're, you're basically getting, in fact, not $50,000, but $150,000. Huh? How it works is this. You deposit $100,000 in DAI. That DAI then goes to work in... Um, a yearn vault. I won't go into what a yearn vault is, but it's a it's a mechanism by which you can earn interest. And then they say, well, we know how much interest you would earn in two years. You can have it now. But in return, you've got to lock up your capital. And that, again, sounds a bit weird, but the way I look at it is like this. Let's say I want to make a film. A film costs a million dollars to make, give or take. That's a decent sum of money. But I would like to make not one film, but a bunch of them over time. You know, I'd like to have a career. Films lose money. Pretty much 99% of films lose money. It's a horrible business to be in. It's not a good investment. It's just it's just basically a tax write-off for rich people most of the time. So how do we avoid this? Okay, so I have a million dollars to make this film, but I'm not going to raise a million dollars. I'm going to raise $2 million. And I'm going to get a million dollars out of this lending protocol. I'm going to go and shoot my film with that a million dollars. At the end of two years, I get my money back and I can do it all over again. Now, it doesn't matter whether my film lost any money or not. It doesn't matter whether that film made any money or not. The fact is, at the end of two years, which is about the amount of time it takes to make a film, I can go and make another film for a million dollars, and then another one, and then another one, over and over and over again. But, you know, you imagine that scaled up. You can. It, it's such a profound way of looking at money. I'm borrowing against myself. What? I'm getting my future yield now. Mm-hmm. So we're basically paying time. Exactly. So it? your only debt is time. So here is a borrowing mechanism whereby you have you cannot be liquidated. You can't fuck up here. You cannot be liquidated. You can't lose money. Now, obviously, there are some risks involved, like smart contract risks. But hopefully, because the model is so radical and so awesome, it'll be kind of it'll become more and more mature. But when I saw Alchemix, when I realized what it was and how it could fundamentally alter the way that we fund riskier projects so you imagine you take the financial risk away from projects you're you know you're you're a french speaker the french i know you're not french but you're a french speaker french culturally have had some of the best cinema of all time but it's difficult to get you know some of these more artsy different you know challenging films funded because you have to string together all these different deals between broadcasters in different countries and it's really complicated and also it's really really time consuming. If you say, I raised $2 million once, big raise, get the money. And then for the rest of time, I can make films 
of one million dollars for the rest of time. That is, but you know, you imagine these films actually make money. Then you put that money back in and you slowly build it up. But you know that at the end of two years, you know, I I could say I have found this amazing filmmaker and I want to start this grant fund. You could do it with short films as well. Short films don't make any money, but you could just say we're going to just have this short film funds for 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 investing in the creative talents of the future, which is where my eyes are on. You know, one hundred percent. That is monstrous. It is like I just want to be doing that. I want to be raising this money and I'm just going right. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. We're going to fund you because we don't give a shit whether it's success or not, because we think the idea is awesome. Go be weird. Just go do something weird. And I think in the face of all this kind of saturation of same, same content, like the WordPress thing, you buy a theme, you just download a theme. It's like everyone's got access to the same stuff. Where are the weird things? Where's that weird shit that you just wouldn't get any other way? Well, this is how you make that possible again. I love the ethos actually of this new creator economy because um, I actually think that at the end of the day, looking at the future of how this will evolve, we're only going to see weird things coming out of it. And and speaking of weird things, now that we actually spoken of the past and the present, maybe let's have a look at the future. This is the ledger forecast. So, you know, talking about the future and the boundaries, you know, between our physical and digital selves, uh, I think most of us spend more time connecting, working, basically living digitally than physically. How do you see this evolving? I know you've been spending a lot of time in the metaverse. Um, maybe some, some of the people who are listening to us don't know what the metaverse is. But what is the Web3 social media going to look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. I think it stems from, firstly, um, taking the idea of social and making it work and earning you it's it's we tend to think of socializing in metaverses as game environments where you go and you hang out and it's recreational and i think the big transformation is coming in in terms of it being actually vocational and you being able to earn a living in a metaverse environment in a digital environment and and the metaverse metaverse is just a kind of it's it's a word to describe an alternative reality in which you can transact and go about work as if in real life except it's not it's digital and what it opens up is just first it's global you can connect anyone anywhere in the world secondly the currency by which you exchange with people is whatever you decide you want it to be so it could be eth it could be bitcoin it can be nfts you can decide it's a pure barter economy which is fascinating in its own right but it's also visual and it wasn't visual before in in terms of avatars in your ability to inhabit you know a character in a space like somnium or in crypto voxels you can have wearables you can be unique and distinct but what's really fascinating is that we are more and more moving to a world in which the name that's on your passport or on your identity card doesn't really bear any relationship to the person that you are in the digital space which is horrifying for the regulators because they want to tie everything to your kyc but in the digital domain, we increasingly see anonymous contributions to things. And that isn't a problem because if you do good work, you do good work and the relationships you strike up with people are on the same level. But your avatar, your representation of yourself starts to gain value because of the amount of work you do and the relationships that you have. And it's not transferable. So you and I both have apes. The value that's inherent in your ape accrues to you. It becomes part of you. And if you were to give that ape to somebody else, it would feel like theft in a weird way. And that 
is not something I've ever seen before. And it's starting to proliferate into everything else. Like we're starting to see these digital identities wrapped up in avatars, which, which gain value, which can't be transferred. It is so wild. I, I absolutely love it. Um, so I think we're going to see much, much more of that. Um, avatars feel like they're in a bubble, but I, I really think we're in the exact opposite. We're in a, about to see a huge growth surge in them. Yeah. And I want to build on that with another question, because I think a lot of people would have a hard time understanding why would someone want to live in a digital virtual world? Um, and I, I don't know who said this. I think it was Balaji. And he was saying, uh, if someone has a hard time understanding this, it means that in the physical world, they already have a great life. They already have the best house. But in the digital world, it gives, and from my understanding, and maybe you can give us your opinion about this as well, you can actually access things that you can't access in your daily life. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we have gotten really good at persuading ourselves that the status quo that's around us is how things are meant to be. And so we don't question it. And that's, I mean, that is for a reason, right? We, we have rules and regulations and things are meant to be the way they're meant to be. And that is what they call hypernormalization to a degree. Once you step foot into a world in which the sort of perceived frictions of stuff go away, like I'm, I'm buying a house at the moment and the mortgage process is just beyond painful. And it, I'm confronted every day with how much I transact in ETH. I just spend ETH the whole time. I'm selling stuff, I'm trading stuff, I'm talking to people, I'm connecting to a million different websites and a million different DeFi protocols. I could just borrow and lend money like that. But for me to get a mortgage, it was horrifically difficult. That's one reason why you would come in. Just life's just way easier. It's way, way easier to get stuff done. And it's very, very easy to connect with people all over the world. So if you're looking for talent, you can go and find that talent because it's out there. I mean, you have to do a bit of work to hunt it down, but it's it's all there. And you wouldn't go and approach, you know, the prime minister in the street. But you can go and talk to the CEO or the, the lead developer of any of these protocols and have a conversation with them. I mean, that's wild. So there's, a, there's an access point here. There's also just, you know, there's a fluidity point. I, I talked to some digital fashion designers about this idea of teenagers being able to experiment with their digital selves. If like, I, I, am I a girl? Am I a boy? Am I something in the middle? The ability to simply inhabit another identity in the metaverse is really important. I think for for teenagers, um, for anyone you know, grappling with issues of identity, it's a safe space to do that. And so you can you can you know experiment with who you are and what you are and what you like. And also you know it's a very vibrant space that that brings in a lot of different opinions simultaneously. And there's no doubt that you know in a culture of filter bubbles and and you know, extreme censoring of of opinions, that diversity that ability to connect with people from all walks of life on an equal playing field, which is there in the metaverse, is incredibly healthy and rich and exciting and, and inspiring as well. You know, just, um, I mean, I wish there were more women that I encountered every day, but it's improving. It's improving, definitely. Yeah, it'll come, for sure. Unfortunately, we have to move to the last segment of the show. So this is a tip for Crypto First Grader. Robin, I, I know you have a lot of moral stories, but what is your ultimate one? Uh, one that creative crypto first graders could benefit from? Don't try and sell something straight away. <clears throat> Respect the culture that you find yourself in. Uh, it takes time to kind of bet in and really 
understand the world that you're coming into. But if you come in swinging a big stick saying I'm the big deal and everything else, it, 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 you're just going to be laughed at. So you really have to take the time to learn the culture. Uh, and I think that's probably true of any kind of microcosm, you know, like hip hop culture. You don't just come in and say, I'm a rapper. You, you know, you take your time and, and you learn the ropes and you get to learn the culture. Uh, but good thing is like, there's no shortage of people ready to offer you advice. So ask questions and respect the culture. Word. Did you just um, say word? Maybe tell us where people... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so gangster. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually scratched the surface of so many subjects here, but I think we'll have more time in future episodes to go down like different rabbit holes because we mentioned the metaverse, we mentioned digital fashion, we mentioned Elizabeth gaming, DeFi, and there's so many things that we can talk about. Robin, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, most people don't know that we actually have these conversations on a, on a, on a actually regular basis, but we actually decided to have these conversations on the podcast. Uh, and I'm, and I'm very much excited about that. Thanks a lot, man, for coming. Nice. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. That's it. This was on the ledger creative reflections with the supermassive Robin Schmidt. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, but Hey, fasten your seatbelts because there's more to come. On The Ledger is all about contributing to crypto culture and expanding its borders. If you want more, go check Ledger Academy, watch School of Block, and feel free to subscribe to this podcast if that's what you're into. Brought to you by Ledger, directed and edited by Theo Wiesmann. This was On The Ledger from Paris. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, tax advice, or more generally, any type of advice. Ledger will not be responsible for the consequences of reliance upon any opinion or statement contained in this podcast or any omission. Crypto assets are volatile. You should be fully aware of the level of risk involved before engaging in any crypto-related activities, and you should consult your own advisors as to those matters. References to any securities or digital assets, or for illustrative purposes only, and do not constitute an investment recommendation or offer to provide investment advisory services. Please note that any loss of data, crypto assets, or profit is your sole responsibility.